0: Exporters are forced to charter private ships to ferry produce to foreign markets amid a COVID-driven cargo crisis. Meat producers and fresh fruit and veggie producers are struggling to get goods to overseas buyers because of an ongoing container ship congestion problem. As more goods are being shipped, the long delays lay siege to best buy dates. Meat company AFCO has resorted to chartering private vessels to get exports valued at close to $120 million to their overseas markets. The company's third ship recently set sail from the port of Tauranga, carrying 6,000 tonnes of frozen meat destined for California and America's emptying meat aisles. And it's not just AFCO. Rival meat companies and other primary producers are on board. In fact, half the space in the first export vessel charted in June last year was taken up by pipfruit exporters. Simon Beale is both Logistics Manager for Turners and Growers and Chair of the New Zealand Council of Cargo Owners. Kia ora, Simon. Welcome to Nine to Noon. Good morning. Good morning also to Mark de la Tour, Head of AFCO Sales and Marketing. AFCO, as we said, has charted three ships so far. Mark predicts that this predicament is set to continue... For three years, Kia ora, Mark.
1: Good morning, Catherine. Good day, Simon. How are you? Good. good.
0: Mark, can you start with the shipping scenario that New Zealand's meat exporters were facing that led you to this move?
1: Yeah, I guess Catherine, it probably started about a year ago. Um, we were looking, you know, at, at what was happening around the world, obviously with COVID, um, and more the impact on the um, on the global supply chain. Like you mentioned in the intro. Um, we were seeing, you know, the trade of goods around the world really, you know, increase um, volumes on the shipping companies were going up every month. And I guess as no one was traveling and going on holiday and eating out at restaurants, they, um, they were all looking to upgrade their TVs and, and do up their kitchens. So a lot of product was being um, traded around the world. So the first problem we saw was um, demand on the shipping lines was increasing. But at the same time, also we're starting to see the first creaks and groans in the um, key logistics areas like ports, trucking, warehousing, um, like you know a lot of labour shortages around um, those areas. So we saw a pinch point coming, and and inevitably it did. Um, So we we were glad a year ago we started looking at that, and um, I think it was June last year we um, we jumped on on. Board a vessel called the Lagoon Phoenix and uh, with Simon. And we went, uh, I think it was about half Simon with some apples and meat.
0: Come in, Simon, as to Great your event. approach.
2: Yeah, um, for our business, it's been um, quite tough. We've noticed over that well, since COVID hit um we decided that year to start looking at getting back into charters because we've been out of them um, for about five or six years um, due to more container services and also sea trader used to bring charter ships to new zealand changing to a containerized service or smaller um, uh, reefer ships uh, reefer car- um, container ships um, which is now the pad service run by cma cgm um, but two years ago when COVID hit and we saw ports around the world tightening up and closing down and restricted of staff and um, trucking uh, we got a vessel in for europe And last year we um, jumped in as well and um, got four vessels arranged, one which we shared with Mark. um, And then we did another one to the US and two up to the UK continent where we've got um, facilities at our cool store in Antwerp where we pull up outside and the cool store is around 20 metres away. So it's a a very efficient way of doing things for us.
0: So for you, was it a case of dusting off the old plants, the old charters that Enza used to do and going back to a similar system?
2: Correct. You know, back in the day, we used to do over 100 charters a year and some of these were liner services um, that were shared with meat companies, especially up to the States. So um, when um, um, Mark um, and us uh, got together um, through Oceanic Navigation with Toby Moores, um, you know, it it worked out well because um, we both could utilise space to markets where, um, you know, we had a limited volume at the time each to go there. Um, so it worked out perfectly. And it's now um, more exporters are getting together. Um, it's Mark sharing vessels with other people. And, you know, we're looking at locking in a programme now and doing the same with some other primary industries. You know, so there's a lot better communication between parties and exporters in New Zealand. And um, also you've had MPI that's also run workshops on charters, which Mark and I have been part of, um, which has been good. It just gets it out there. Um, probably the biggest thing at the moment, um, like shipping space um, on container ships, um, getting charters is very, very hard You know these days because a lot of them, um, due to every change of containers, have been scrapped. So there's only a few new builds that have come on board and um, Zespra have been lucky to use the new ones on their service um, up through Japan and China.
0: So that was my next question, is how locked in is your access to the charters? Because, as always, where there's a shortage, the price goes up. We'll come to price, but is it going to end up being the next point of competition?
2: correct it already is and um, there's a lot of vessels going um, going to South Africa and taking product from South Africa up to Europe um, this year which hasn't happened for quite a while and the same as the Chilean you know South American programs are quite strong as well up into the States and into other regions and you know you're talking about pricing and all pricing has gone up and it, I suppose it depends who you are your size your volume and your commitment with lines where your price but, you know, it is, um, uh, there, there has been a change there.
0: Well, can you give us an indication of what it's doing first to your own costs and then second what it's going to mean to the price for the consumer? What scale of increase is the impact?
2: I won't comment on the price from your business point of view. Okay. Sorry.
1: When it... what, what I will say, yes, what ma'am. I will say from an FCO point of view, Catherine, is is this isn't a cost saving exercise, all right? So, um, <laughs> is, it, is it far from it? it? Far... Are it, the costs is, considerable? It is, it, yeah, it is. I mean, it is far from it. But it's also the ancillary cost. So, you know, one thing I will say is um, containers are great. There's a reason that container vessels and container shipping have become the most common exporting method in the world and its convenience and its efficiency and, and the whole network is built around it so it's not necessarily just the, the charter costs in itself um, it's the fact that you know in the second vessel you know, we were putting on just over 4,000 tonnes ourselves as AFCO and, and that required that all of our sites build up and stage that volume for one load point over, over a couple of days of loading so whereas with containers you can you know, load 20 tons um, in every container and and ship it out every day. Um, this method, re- you know, relies on you being able to stage and freeze and hold um, big volumes that get loaded over a period of time. So it's not just the um, um, the charter cost; it's the it's the overall cost of holding inventory, um, managing the the trucks. Um, you know, during a load uh, load period, for example, the the vessel that just left uh, Tauranga uh, I think we had about 24 truck and trailer units going back and forth between our sites and the port, and and uh, you need to hire those trucks for the whole day, and uh, and so there's there's a lot of cost, and unless you plan it very very well, um, you know, it it is not for the faint of heart, um, when it comes to paying the paying the invoices. Oh, and Presumably that will be reflected.
0: Same- it'll be reflected in price the consumer pays in the first instance in exports. I want to talk about the domestic situation in a moment, but the first instance in exports that will be reflected in the price on the on, on the shelves.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. There's no um, no doubt about that. Um, we're not in the game of, of subsidising um, our export customers, um, but we were. Um, you know, very keen to come up with a with a way to get them product in the market. The
0: refrigeration um, but... needs of meat are one thing. The cool needs of fruit and vegetables might be another thing. Are these charter ships, do they contain that uh, function on board? How are you managing that?
2: Correct, Catherine. Um, the charter vessels are set up they're like a floating cool store. So uh, most of them have got um, four hatches on the top. And they've got four decks underneath, so you you, um, you load the bottom deck, you know, put on your 300 pallets, close the deck, put the next layer on off, say another 300, and work your way up. And each of those um, hatches have got the two the, the A and B deck, which are the top decks are one temperature, and the C and D decks below it are a, a set temperature as well. so you can manage it there. So when we do um, like when we did the meat and um, pip fruit, um, the meat went in two hatches the pepper went in two hatches and the meat was at negative 20 and the apples were at zero degrees so it's manageable um, you've got you know, engineers on the ship you know, checking it all the time they report to us daily on how the product's looking where it's sitting in temperature wise so you know, if there's anything that looks a bit funny you can actually go in and have a chat and change settings so it's, um, it's, a, it's a very easy method
0: how exposed, however, is the other parts of the um, of the primary sector, perhaps because they are exporting to a different part of the world? I'm interested in which parts of the world this is working and in which parts perhaps it's not. Um, could you answer that in the first instance? I mean, we've got a big export market to China, for example, across various goods. Is, is this viable? So for pip
2: fruit, you know, we're um, concentrated mainly on Europe And now the States, um, because those are our key markets where there is a lot of congestion in the UK and a little bit on the continent, but um, the West Coast of the States, where Mark's been going into, is... Absolutely shocking at the moment. It's the worst market um, to get to. Um, ships are sitting off Long Beach for up to 40 days before they can get a berth. So um, what used to be a you know two-week to three or three-week transit is now uh you know 60 days to get a container in. Um Zespri have been, you know, they've been concentrating on Europe for the last few years and they're big up into Asia, into um, Japan and China which they've got a good network in. And you need a good network, you need some good people on either end um, to put the um, product in the vessel and to get it out efficiently as well.
0: So, Mark, is China or other parts of Asia or the Middle East, for example, are they challenges for um, exports, or uh, particularly China, I imagine, for your product?
1: Yeah, China's um, ports have largely held up, um, um, basically through their you know extremely strict management, of, of COVID, and, and they've reacted very quickly when they have had outbreaks. America was definitely the first target for us, um, as they, you know, felt the full brunt of of COVID, and their infrastructure went down very quickly. Um, and and so that's been the primary um, uh, focus for us to the, at this stage. With other markets, we'd, we'd very much be keen to do it um, because it obviously gives us another string to our bow. But there's so much that has to be done. Beforehand, uh, Catherine. So that's making yeah. sure that port officials are in line, uh, customers are ready for, you know, I, I mentioned before the challenge of loading five, 6,000 tons in one go. Customers have to be able to receive five or 6,000 tons in one go and maintain that cold chain. So it's quite a long process to go through. I think we're a bit lucky in the US in that that infrastructure had been, to, to some extent anyway, retained in some of the expertise done but um, really um, a lot of markets such as the Middle East and, and China it's been a generation since um, you know frozen meat and bulk carriers have been shipped there so there's there's a lot of water to go into the bridge so to speak
0: you um, hadn't intended to become that. shipping magnates had you?
1: no 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 we 're not we 're not shipping guys we we 're simple meat sellers, but um we 've been forced into this into this uh, in this ground and, and it and it certainly gets our product to market i guess
0: how How sustainable is it though first, can we talk about the problem with the containers and it is the containers as I understand it the logistics is often you 'll end up with all the containers in the wrong place there 's a very precise mathematical kind of uh, process for ensuring the right number of containers are at the right port at the right time to take product to another port. And that is what seems to have but, been, become log jammed, right? That's right. It's a, it's a pig through the Python type scenario, mm. Catherine. So you've only, you've only got one
1: um, hold up in one link of the chain, and then the, the link ahead of that empties out and then you have the surge going through. So what we're experiencing really is just big blockages in the pipeline um, Simon mentioned, you know, 38, 40 days, uh, vessels have to anchor outside Long Beach before they can get in. Well, those containers are effectively out of circulation for for a period of time. And and um, so that's that's the issue. So when you're looking for empty containers to load and they're sitting at anchor out at Long Beach, um, that's not really helpful. So our, our, our view, Catherine, is really, you know, um, a little bit of how long is a piece of string, but... But the, the the COVID pandemic and the impact around the world doesn't seem to be going anywhere quickly. Um, and our view is even if it miraculously disappeared tomorrow, it would probably take a year, 18 months before people decided that they would um, you know, jump on the plane and go to Bali and go on holiday and, and spend money on on more service-related things than, than goods. So um, we think this is, um, you know, Three years, um, and we'll have to keep keep going. And, and it may well be that we go longer than that, Catherine, because it's 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 a it's a risk insurance perspective for us. We're we're a company that you know exports over eighty percent of our goods, so um, we're it's our lifeline being able to ship. So and you know, talk about risk mitigation. I think this is probably something we will we will look at ongoing for for quite a period.
0: Is it sustainable the process that you are doing now with? Uh, the, the cargo. This is to each of you. I mean, how, how long is it sustainable?
1: You go, Simon. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we have paid for rates and that. We, you know, people have paid more in the past. It's, um, you know, it fluctuates. It's the same as the um, BAF we're paying on fuel on the ships as well. That's moved up um, as well um, in the past. I would say twelve months um you know, and all those costs just keep adding up um you know it's um it's a it's a huge cost on everyone's supply chain um you know it's around about trying to find about try to find more efficiencies in the supply chain you know and that's including infrastructure around new zealand um around the world, making sure that um things are flying efficiency, getting product from a to b in new zealand is is uh, reasonably. Um, difficult. Uh, we need better access to ports. We need um, infrastructure. As an in, um, uh, an example, is the port of Tauranga needs to extend their berth, but getting a consent has taken two years to date, and uh, that's our main export port out of New Zealand. So we need infrastructure like that around there to make things more efficient. Um, we need um, more people on the ground, um, the supply chain around the world, truck drivers, you know, USA is short of 100,000 truck drivers, New Zealand is short of around 5,000 truck drivers. You know, it's all the things in the supply chain to make it more efficient. You know, with um, COVID happening, things will tighten up and slow down, so we just need to keep things moving. And it's also around um, the schedules, you know, shipping schedules if a container ship is delayed by, you know, five days and that happens, you know, Every, you know, week, you know, instead of getting 52 sailings a year, we're getting 40 sailings a year and everything, you know, just compiles up. We're trying to get more out on less, you know, vessels. So there's just a whole lot of things around the supply chain that need to be looked at to make it more efficient.
0: However, three years, you predict the disruptions will last to one extent or another. Mark, that was my I prediction,
1: that was your Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was my oh, yep. I just can't see it improving earlier than that, gathering. So, so certainly that's the um, period of time we're planning for. And you know, even should container services start improving and availability of space improve and cost come down, likewise we would we would probably see the uh, the bulk carrier charter rates come down proportionately. And then it is, like I mentioned before, just a matter of um, um, don't get risk mitigation.
0: The, they just should track this stuff. Yeah, thank you. Just finally to each of you, are those being, um, there's some who are able to make use of this, there are others who are not able to make use of this, right? And I've heard about some smaller producers who are even pulling back on production because they cannot get primary sector goods to market in time. Is that happening in smaller sectors and is there any support for them?
2: Um, We have worked with other, especially, you know, Pip fruit exporters um, and put product on board with our vessels we're um, securing. Um, So we're very open. You know, last year we had two um, other parties join us who hadn't dealt with TNG, you know, for a number of years. So, you know, we're open to anything. um, And and just having the, the same product, um, on, on the vessel is just nice and easy and tidy you know? and if we had to change temperatures and things like that it might get a bit harder for smaller volumes of product
0: What else would help? For example do you feel that your supply chain businesses are sufficiently supplied with the likes of the RATs and I know this is the rapid antigen testing, I know there's a lot of issues around supply at those at the moment and prioritising supply but again is that another concern that you have within your domestic industries?
1: Well, from my point of view, uh, Catherine, I'm, I'm more concerned about the, um, again, the, the the infrastructure side of it, um, the New Zealand ports, trucking companies and the likes. Um, we have pretty strict protocols internally ourselves, um, and and we tend to control our own destiny to some extent on that, but um, it's more the ancillary partner industries. And, you know, we've seen it around the world where ports have failed and, and trucking has become unavailable. Um, so that's probably the main concern I would have looking around now within New Zealand is making sure that we've got safeguards to keep those ports and, and warehouses and, and trucks and trains flying.
0: Can we speak about the ports of Auckland, which I understand, we know they've had a long-running uh, container upgrade project there. Is it relevant to this situation?
1: Not not from my perspective Catherine, um from an from an export perspective, our main export ports are uh, Tauranga, um, Wellington, you know, down the South Island. But um, really, it's it's uh, Auckland's the main import port, and it has its challenges. Um, but to date, it hasn't really been a major impact for us, and it's probably um, you know one that people drive past in Auckland and see the the mountain of containers built up and held there. But um, it's it's that's largely symptomatic of the bigger picture rather than, I would say, necessarily the Auckland port challenge.
0: And the internal supply chains, we've talked a lot about your export focus, but getting product around the country in each of your industries, is that flowing smoothly or is that also providing some issues given, um container logistics?
1: Um, I suspect we're about to see that, okay. Catherine, so, to, be so- um, <laughs> uh, to, to date To date, it's gone, we've been very lucky. Um, And, um, you know, I guess New Zealand's COVID response has allowed those key industries to keep going. Um, But uh, I think there's challenging times ahead on that front.
0: What do you believe the impact of an Omicron peak, say, in March and an outbreak that continues perhaps for two months or more, what do you believe the impact will be?
2: That could affect everything from harvesting, Storage, packing, tracking, ports. So um, there's a component everywhere that could be affected. So it could be um, it'd be very challenging for everyone.
0: What is your position on how staff continuity uh, can be handled and the current rules around isolation, etc.?
2: One thing is a lot of companies are working in bubbles now. Um, You know, from the ports are a good example. They've been working in bubbles for, you know, some of them up to a couple of years now. So um, I think most business units around the country are trying their best to do similar approaches.
0: I thank both of you very much for your time. Uh, Simon Beale, Logistics Manager for Tuners and Growers and Chair of the New Zealand Council of Cargo Owners. Mark de La Tour is Head of AFCO Sales and Marketing, which has chartered three ships so far, as we said, to get product from each of their industries overseas.